Okay, put up Philip, uh, Philemon. We'll go to the last chapter, starting with verse 4. Philemon. If you, got, if you guys know God's word, you know what I just did. It was another illustration of the last shall be first. Because there's only one chapter in Philemon. So the last shall be first. It's the last chapter. Verse 4. I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. You know how Paul always starts like this? Always in my prayers. Hey, um, I want to be like Paul. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Leave this verse up there. I want to break this verse down for you. That the communication, that word communication is a Greek word most of you are familiar with, koinonia. Koinonia is also a word, the, the word, the, the word that most describes the word koinonia is the word fellowship. It's translated fellowship. In Philippians, when Paul prays for the church at Philippi, he says he prays for their fellowship. Their fellowship. See, because that's an active thing. Fellowship can be a noun like we are a fellowship. Fellowship can be a verb, though, like we fellowship. And uh, it's a state of being, fellowship. It's, it's when in, with one another we exchange with one another, we love one another, we care for one another, we support one another, we exhort one another, and so forth. But this particular fellowship, it says, of your faith. So this is talking about of your relationship with your faith, and that can be with one another as well, but also is with God for your fellowship. Because you notice he started off in your love toward the Lord and your commitment towards the saints for your fellowship. It says that the fellowship of your faith may become effectual. That word effectual is the Greek word energia or energio, which means we get our word energy from. The best way to describe it in this particular case is, is the communication, the fellowship of your faith may become energized. Is there anybody in here in your faith with the Lord and your faith with one another and your faith in your family? Do any of you need to be energized? If you don't, uh, we'll bury you whenever your family says because you're dead. If you don't know that you need this, you're, you're already dead. All right? We need to be energized and in our fellowship with God, our fellowship with one another. We need to be energized. And it says, by the fellowship of your faith, become effectual, energized by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. You catch that? When you acknowledge, acknowledge is, uh, breaks forth out of knowledge, breaks forth from you, you speak it, you say it, you, uh, you become energized, your faith is energized, your faith with God, your faith with one another. And it's all about who you are in Christ Jesus. Now I have bought these books right here. If you look, if you can see the title, it says, In Him. And in the back of this book, it has all the verses that are in the New Testament that proclaims in writing. uh, It has the addresses of who we are in Christ. And it may say in him, in Christ, through him, by him. But it's basically all the prepositions of who we are in Jesus Christ. And it's primarily, almost exclusively, who we are in the resurrected Christ, who we are in Christ Jesus when he was raised from the dead. 
And so this is what Paul prayed in that first prayer. I made mention of this last week and I said, people, people have asked me and I'll, I'll tell you, I, you'd be surprised uh, how some people that in some circles were, had a great deal of recognition for their uh, preaching ability and their uh, love of the Lord. And they would ask, ask me, how, where do you get these things that you get? And I said, well, I just get it from the word. And, uh, but I get it because I believe in the prayer that's in Ephesians, the first chapter. It says uh, that he prays for us that we might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We talked about this uh, last week. The, the Greek word for reg- re- uh, revelation is apocalypse. Literally, that is the word, apocalypse. Same spelling, same pronunciation, pronouncing as we say, apocalypse. It means unveiling. It means God takes the veil away so that we can be in the presence and see the presence of God. And so, uh, you know, uh, they have uh, in the Sunday night service, they're having homework. I hope you're getting that homework and studying it. Because they're coming at the same direction that I've been going, uh, only from a different point. I've been going from the new to the old, and they've been going from the old to the new. Independently, they started about the same time I did independently. Maybe that's the Lord. You know, uh, coincidence is where the Lord uh, performs a miracle and prefers to remain anonymous, you know. When you have coincidences in your life. So, excuse me a minute. So anyways, in this book, in him, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. uh, Let's just go, I'll go through the whole prayer real quick. That God may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Spirit, wisdom, revelation, knowledge of him. Uh, spirit of the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, which he brought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Wrought means established or accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all, there's more in that prayer, by the way, but I'm just condensing it. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And then it goes on to say, and you. In this next chapter. And it's very simple. That God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the knowledge of Christ. Which, which he wrought in Christ. When he raised him from the dead. And you. Which you so. And I've, and I've said this. That I think that that is the most powerful thing. I've even said it, it went to the limit of God's power. Any, any, if it had taken another ounce of power. Uh, I don't know what would have happened. And I think all the angels in heaven was thinking that too. But it, because it raised us from the dead. And who we are in Christ being raised from the dead. Now, uh, I know, especially some of you old dogs, and I say that from the, per, uh, the, um, the old saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And uh, I'm here to tell you that you can't. Because I've been going through a lot of new tricks lately. And uh, what I mean is God has just been in my life and I love it. Uh, I love it. But uh, there's frequently when I'm thinking, Lord, I could have done better when I was younger. Uh, But I don't know if I was ready. (laughs) But I'm ready, Lord. Anyway, I said I had one book left and I did and I wasn't going to let anybody have it. You know, I was going to keep it no matter what. You couldn't borrow it. I was not going to let you do it. Uh, one, one speaker says, I got brothers that I love and they love me and they would die for me, but they'll steal my books. They'll borrow them and never return them, you know. And he's got to the point where he just doesn't lend his books out. Well, this is a little booklet you can read and probably some of you can read it in five minutes or less. In him. And uh, I bought 
uh, a number of these little booklets. And I brought some today, and I'll be at the back of the church afterwards. If you will take one, and you will study the 152 verses that are in, you might have heard me say other numbers, I actually counted them, (laughs) 152. So uh, 152 verses that are in here about who we are in Christ and they're about what God did when he raised Christ from the dead. And you. Amen. Hallelujah. So if you want one of these books. And you commit to studying them and to start memorizing them. Oh, you can't do that. I can't memorize. You know, I've, I've talked to people and I said, you can't memorize it. How, um, how did you go about trying to memorize this verse? And they would, they would tell me. And I said, well, how many times did you go over it? He says, oh, I, had to, I went over it as many as 25 times. And I still couldn't memorize it. I said, well, there's your problem right there. When I memorize scripture, it takes me about 2,000 times. 2,000 times. In Bill Gothard's teachings of memorization, there's four steps to memorization. Memorize, no, to, to uh, meditation. Memorize, visualize, personalize, and then harmonize. Did you know meditation in the old scripture? That's how the Psalms were written. They were meditating on the word. All right. So if you will learn these and you will proclaim these, confess, that means homologio, to say the same thing God says. You begin to say, you know, it's kind of uh, Lauren Daigle says, you say, you say, you say, I'm this, you say, I'm that. Well, he says, now they'll be at the back of the uh, church, if anybody uh, wants to promise that you'll try to memorize it, study these scriptures. Remember, I'll give you, I'll, I'll let you have one of the books. But otherwise, don't, don't take it from somebody else. Hallelujah. Uh, let's put up uh, Psalm 91 real quick. Psalm 91. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I've been talking about mysteries, and I'm going to take you on a journey today with me uh, that I've been going on since, uh, well, even before I became a, a pastor, I was working at Teen Challenge for a couple of years, and I've been on this journey. I believe and hope and think that uh, you've been on a journey too. It is a journey with the Lord. And uh, we've talking about mysteries and this verse starts off says, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So what is the secret place? Does anybody here know what the secret place is? In him. Oh, that... After that talk, that was a pretty good answer. The secret place in him. Uh, that's good. That's good. Anybody else? Uh, you can't beat that one, can you? Well, you can try, though. If you, if you had something else in mind, what do you think the secret place is? Huh? Alone time with him? Alone time with him? Yeah. Okay, it's not just... It's not just in him, it's the time you spend alone meditating on who you are in him. Okay, I can see that. All right, well, I'm going to go through this really quickly so you go through it with me because I'm going to tell you that those are great answers and they're, no, I'm not saying they're wrong. Uh, Not at all. Good answers. But I'm going to tell you what the psalmist tells you at the end of the psalm. 
what it is. Okay, so we're going to go through quickly. I, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror that uh, flyeth there by night or the arrow that flieth by day. Nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you behold the reward of the wicked or what the wicked deserve. Because thou hast made, and here we go, the Lord, which is my refuge, even thy most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against... Stop on this one for a minute. Dash thy foot against the stone. You guys recognize that verse? It's the verse the devil used on Jesus, took him into a high place and says, If you're the son of God, jump off this cliff, because it is written, they shall bear thee up. The angel shall bear thee up. The only thing is, let's go back to verse before one, one time. And he uses this verse, okay? For he, for he shall give his angels charge over you. But he, li- he leaves off this one little section right here when the devil says it to him. In all your ways. Now, I don't know about your ways, but my ways, I don't go up into buildings and jump off. <laughs> See? That's, see, he was leave, leaving, the, the devil will corrupt you with the truth, but leaves things off to where it just changes things. Okay, let's keep going. Next, ne- next verse. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. You know what we're talking about here? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're talking about that. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under thy feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has... Leave this verse up. This is the secret place. Because he... Now, you notice it says because he... All right? This, the psalmist isn't going to the place where he's still talking about the person. Suddenly, it's going to say, it's going to God, because he has set his love upon me. See, he, being God, has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. And then it's, 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 it's kind of a, it's, it's a play to where the psalmist is, he has set his love upon me. And he is also speaking for God about the person who's, it's a double, it's a double meaning. And it says, because God has set his love upon me and because I have set, because he, me, because I, God is speaking to me because I have set my love upon him. You understand that, that, that play? And it says, therefore, will I deliver him? You see, that's, that gives you the understanding that God is talking to me. You follow me? Because I don't need to deliver him. And so he says, therefore, will I deliver him? I will set him on high. God is saying that the secret place is when we set our love upon him. First, we've already had worship. He loved us first. We heard that beautiful time, by the way, body life says, therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath what? Known my name. <clears throat> and what did God set above all his name? His word. He's magnified his word above all his name. Someone once said it's like this. God made a contract with man. And he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then at the bottom of the contract, <laughs> he wrote his name. Ba, ba, ba. See, signed his name. 
magnified his word above all his name. Amen. Let's look at, uh, we're going to look at uh, a verse of scripture. Uh, Ezekiel 28. I'll double check my addresses here. Ezekiel 28, starting with. Aha. Thirteen. That's what I thought it was. Thirteen. We're going to go thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. Ezekiel twenty-eight, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Hallelujah. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Um, there are, or in the Old Testament, there are three. Places where God speaks through his prophets about Satan. One is in uh, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. And one is in uh, Job 38, verse 7. And here in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, it speaks about... How God uh, how made Satan. He wasn't Satan at the time. You know what the word Satan means? Adversary. He wasn't Satan. He wasn't the devil at the time. He, the deceitful liar. Um, he, he was Lucifer. Which means light bearer. Or bear, uh, bear, morning star. Titles that Jesus eventually receives. There are a number of titles that Satan has that Jesus also has. And when we read this, there are some uh, teachings that are out there by other um religious groups that this is so it's an indication of this very verse here verses here that Satan was actually one of God's sons and Jesus was his brother no 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 Satan was an angel one of the archangels but he was an angel. He was not one of Jesus' brothers. Brother, Jesus was the Son of God, the only begotten of God. And, uh, but he was also, when he became a man, he was man, fully man, but God, fully God. He was in the form of God, according to Philippians 2. He was God. All right? But Satan was And this is what is a very popular belief, which I have come to say amen. I've never heard it debunked. That Satan was the worship leader in heaven. One of the indications is, if you want to look it up, uh, Job, which is in chapter 38, is when God starts talking to Job. And God says, talks about the stars and the sons of God worshiping in heaven. Satan was a worship leader. It talks about in Revelation that a third of the angels fell when Lucifer fell. And uh, so you put it all together. But looking at this, we see what God did making Satan. So it says this, thou hast been in Eden. Now, yes, it's talking about a garden, but we're not talking about the garden of Eden. The word Edom mean like uh, uh, beautiful, pleasant, awesome, great uh, in the garden. So he was in the garden, in, in the garden itself, a beautiful place. And it's not necessarily referring to the Garden of Eden on, on earth. Although we know he found his way into that garden too. <laughs> you know, it says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone of thy covering... And so it's referring to the beauty of him. And he names off all these stones. 
And uh, I looked them all up, and some of them, they don't even know what they mean. Uh, it could be this, that, and the other. But one of them is ruby, and uh, that's, uh, that's one of the most beautiful. I love rubies. I had an uncle that had a, a ruby ring. Oh, my goodness. I, I really coveted that thing. Thou hast been in the garden of every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, topaz, and the diamond, and the barrel, beryl. Uh, the onyx and the jasper and the sapphire and the emerald and the carbuncle and gold. Uh, the workmanship of thy timbres. That, that timbres is, uh, actually means, and it, it's almost like it's a part of him, is like tambourine, a tambourine. There, there's an indication right there that he was uh, made for worship. It says this, and the tambourine, and it says, and, and thy pipes... That's referring to uh, almost his like structure was like a, a, a worshiping tool. You know, that's why Satan uses music so well on earth. He was a musical machine. And it says, uh, and thy pipes which were pre- uh, prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created... So God made this, and he's going to great deal of communication to prove what a beautiful, wonderful creation he was. And it says, thou art the anointed cherub. This is what another place where Jesus, what, says, what's the first thing he says as he begins his ministry in the synagogues? He goes to the church at Nazareth, and he goes in, and he walks in, and he says, and he reads from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. Anointed means he's empowered by God to either speak or uh, uh, worship or speak or uh, act on behalf of God. He's anointed. And usually when it says the anointed cherub, it's like above measure. That's when it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus says, he's anointed me. It's above measure. And it says this. And he has set thee so. And upon the, excuse me. Uh, wait, go back to that verse. What happened here? Uh, next verse. I'm sorry. Thou hath anointed, thou art the anointed cherub that, that covereth, and have set thee so. Thou hast upon the holy mountain, O God, Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. Thou wast perfect till iniquity was found in thee. And here's, here's some things that uh, I'm going I'm to start taking us on a journey here. Okay, If you permit me. And I will use some human terms to describe what's going on. Because I I don't have words that can describe what's going on as far as my understanding. The only thing I can present is my understanding. You You follow me? I think this is why when we read Ephesians 1... That Well, let's go to, uh, forget that, Ephesians 3, where Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, and he says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole fatherhood in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, that he would strengthen you with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, and that you may be able to understand what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now, did you understand what those words just meant there, right there? That you may understand what is the breadth the length and the depth and the height. Which is four-dimensional. Why? Because we live in a four-dimensional world, right? And it's and what he's saying is we may understand the complete dimensions of the love of Christ. How many of you know that there are no dimensions 
of the love of Christ. There's no boundaries. There's no limitations. All right? So he is expressing this in a limitation way, in a limited way, so that for us, so that we can get the picture that while we're on earth, God wants us to begin to understand the fullness, his fullness of the love of Christ, which we cannot because its ways are past founding out. He, he is God. He can't do that. So Paul is using as words, human terms, for our sake. He doesn't have words to describe it other than for our sake. So I'm going to use some human terms that I'm going to say it for my sake. Don't say, thus saith the Lord. All right? You, you follow me? I'm going to express it in terms that I see. And, and you, you, you can follow me if you can. If you don't agree with me, it's okay. Uh, I'm telling you about my journey. Thou was perfect in thy ways. The day that thou was created until iniquity was found in him. What was iniquity? It says, till sin, till, till uh, there was something, a crook in his bow. He was a crook. It talks about that in Israel, about a, a, there was a, in your bow, an arrow, there was a twist in it that made the arrow fly in a bad direction. What was that? We don't know. He doesn't say. But I can tell you this much. It has something that was... Now, did God put this? Did God create him this way? I don't think so. But something happened. Something happened there. And I'm going to tell you what possibly happened from my perspective. I go back, you know, if you know me... I really care a lot about verses of Scripture like Paul says in at least eight different verses. That something happened for us, again, in Christ, before the world was created. Ah, And he doesn't really say. He says one of the places is, is in Titus 1 where it says how God promised eternal life which he promised us in Christ before the world was even made before time existed for man all right other places you know my favorite place second timothy 1:9 which says god saved us called us with the holy calling not according to our works but according to his purpose and grace <clears throat> Excuse me, which was given to us before the world began. I don't know. I, I see that and I see, wow! How was that done? First time I heard that was 42 years ago in a pastor's meeting. And it was actually somebody from our church going, we were going to pastor's meetings 41 years, 41 years ago. And this person brought a cassette tape talking about covenant. And it was Derek Prince. And I thought I'd listen to every tape, cassette tape that Derek Prince ever made. But it was one I hadn't. And he refers to those very two verses that I made reference to you there. And it was the first time. And the only time I've ever heard anybody preach about it. And I don't, I, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't get it. Some, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm going crazy here or something. Because that's pretty big. That God did something to us, in us, through us, in Christ. Before the world was even created. That something happened. God did something for me, to me, promised me, promised you eternal life before the world was created. 
promised you, had he saved you, because God isn't on a time thing. It's a, it's, it's, you know, saved, past tense, presence, forever. He saved us, called us, before the world began. Other places says we were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, which God hath before ordained. So there's so many verses. And I heard those verses, and I did, I had this reaction. Says, why? And this is 41 years ago. And I'm thinking, why? Why haven't I heard this before? Or why haven't I even seen it before? I've studied those. It sounds pretty big. Does it sound big to you? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for coming. You know, it's, it's, it's so big. And maybe I go overboard a little bit talking about it because I don't hear anybody else preaching about it. And I don't know why. That's, that's one of those things that I start preaching about something and I'm like, God. Now, I did hear Derek Prince talk about that. And he talked about it in relationship to covenant. And he did something that I was just talking to you about what I want to do. What was that? He says this. I think it might have gone something like this. Jesus is at his right hand. And God says, God the Father says to Jesus, I'm going to make man. And I'm going to condense this. I'm going to make man. He's going to fall. We're going to have to save him. And the only way that we can save him is you've got to go down there and die for him. And it's going to separate us. Will you do that? And Jesus says, I will. Covenant is made. The covenant of God between the Father and the Son to save us. And in the Son, you and I were, we existed. I would think like... If you are a human being and you have and you create things and we all create things one way or another. We we have it in our minds and we visualize it. I'm going to make this if you're an artist or or, or, if, or if you're if, whatever it is, it may be something more uh, uh, spiritual or, you know, not not tangent physically but you are you are made in the likeness and image of God and one of them is you create things he says I'm going to do this I'm going to make this well maybe we were in Christ that way we were in the mind of God our names were written in the book you see I don't know exactly how but I, it says before the world was created. I've heard some speakers, and you might have heard me say, eternity past. I, I don't know if it was eternity past. Now I'm beginning to think it happened about this time. And again, God doesn't live in a time-space world, so I'm using human terms. You understand what I'm saying? It happened about this very time. You see, God created his most beautiful of all creations, Lucifer, light bearer, morning star. In, uh, in Job 38, verse 7, you see that God, uh, in, God is speaking, the, the stars, uh, the morning stars praised God and, and sing for joy and the sons of God, which is talking about the angels. Many places it talks about the angels. It says, so Lucifer was the crown of his creation and he was created specifically to be a, a one that brought the ultimate. We, we just sang so many songs about glorifying God and giving God glory. And may I give you, and uh, the, the word that's come forth, may I give you glory. Lucifer was created to bring, one reason he was created so beautiful and so awesome himself is so that through his beauty and through his being, he could bring ultimate glory to God. And then God found in him, but iniquity was found in him. And it's almost, 
almost, and again, here I'm going into human terms. The, the beauty, his beauty is, was his downfall. Do you understand? Because he began to see his beauty in light of, hey, I am equal to God. That's what it says in Isaiah 14. And that's what it says in here. It says iniquity was found. Let's go to the next verse. Thank you. I probably said that. It says, thou was perfect. Ways that, excuse me. By the multitude of, now let's forget it. I'm in two different places at the same time. He was, begin to think of himself as being equal with God. Not greater. He says he rose in, in Isaiah in 14. It says he rose above the stars of heaven. I am greater than all the stars of heaven. I am equal with God. Now, in order for him to come to that conclusion, he had to have developed a free will. What developed, again, I'm I'm talking about me. This is me saying it. How did he develop? Why? He chose. He chose to rise above. He chose to think of himself equal with God. He chose to rise in rebellion. And it says he took a third of the angels with him. It says that in, in Revelation and other places. He took a third of the angels with him. So not only he developed a free will or a will to go different from the will of God. A third of the angels also followed him. He had led them into this rebellion in heaven. A third of the angels. Is that pretty big? Well, maybe it didn't develop, uh, didn't spend a lot of time talking about it. But I'm telling you that I don't know how many billions of angels there are. There's a lot of them. But a third of them rebelled in heaven. The biggest battle you could ever imagine when Lucifer is cast down. But you see what happened with Lucifer was his beauty overcame him. His pride overcame him. And so he is cast down to the heaven. He is cast down and it says down. And he goes down to the earth. Now here's, there's all kinds of evangelical Christians that believe different things about uh, how the earth was made. Right? Evangelical Christians, by and large, I think most of us, do not believe in evolution. We believe that there was a literal Adam and a literal Eve created in the garden. But there are different ideas. We believe some, uh, some uh, create, creative, creation, crea- creationists, thank you. Some creationists believe that God made the earth with an uh, appearance of age. That's so, for some reason, that's so that when, that's why they, all these archaeologists and all these things say that the earth is very, very old. Okay? That God made it to look that way. I don't, I don't think I'm in that category. I think that the, the earth is very, very old. I think there were cavemen on the earth. I think there was dinosaurs in the, in, on the earth. All right? I just don't think that that's, Adam and Eve. They weren't cavemen. They didn't come from cavemen. They were uh, created later. There was something going on on earth when Lucifer was cast down. But it's at that point when Lucifer is cast down, we're gotten up. Again, what am I doing? Telling you how a way that it could happen. Don't go saying thus that I've been preaching this. But I am, anyways. So go ahead and say it. When Lucifer is cast down, God, maybe he told his son, Jesus, you know something? I created him to bring us glory. I created him to worship us. And yet, 
the very be- beautiful beauty that I've created is what corrupted him. And he says, I got to, we, we got, I, I want, he created him for a reason. Logos, the word logical, reasoning comes if in, in, in many of the places in the New Testament where it says reasoning, come let us reason together, saith the Lord. Reasoning is the Greek word logikos in the New Testament. Reasoning, all right? So he says, I made him for a specific reason. My creation is what ended up corrupting him. So I've got to do, I've got to go about this a different way. I got to replace him because he's got a reason for being here. In order to do that, I'm not going to go the same route I went with him. Uh, here's where some of you are going to get your get in trouble, trouble with me. God says, I made a mistake with him. God doesn't make mistakes. You got that? So I'm just humanly, humanly speaking. I made a mistake. It was my desire to create this beautiful thing that through his beauty, he would bring me glory. Instead, it corrupted him. So I got to come up with a different approach on this. How can I replace him? Because he's necessary. I made him for a reason. He's necessary. Since he has gone and a third of the angels with him, we have no worship leader in the stars. They worship us, but we have no leader. So how can I do that? He said, well, I'll make Adam and Eve, my own likeness and own image. But we know where that's going to go. He, Lucifer, is down there and he's going to get after them and he's going to bring them in to think the same way he thinks. He's going to, and they have a free will. Bob Mumford once said, if we understood what a free will is, we'd try to give it back to God and say, I don't want it. But you see, here's the difference, see. Lucifer was created so beautiful that he developed a will of his own. God wants to create man with a free will so that we choose to worship him. Satan chose to worship himself. God wants, why? He didn't want to make another angel that had to worship him. He wanted to make a man that would choose mankind. He says, I'm going to make man, but he's going to fall too. And he's going to fall into the same trap, but it's all part of the plan. He's going to fall in the same trap. Satan's going to bring him into it. So the sin, the iniquity of the devil is on a journey too. You see, he's cast down. Why is he meddling now with man? Well, I take a verse of scripture, which I have preached a lot on, uh, in, in uh, John 16, verse 7. And it says, uh, I'm sending you a comforter, the Holy Spirit, that he may reprove the world of sin, righteousness, of, and judgment. Of sin, because they didn't believe on me. Of righteousness, because I go to be with my Father. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So there's a judgment that's going on. And part of this process from time, when, when did it start? At the time Lucifer is cast out. When did the promises that God would save us happen? Right then. Because he's got this plan. And so the prince of this world is being judged. And it's a, let, put it in human terms, it's a, it's a court uh, jury, judgment, Satan is going through. And the earth is the courthouse, and Satan is on trial, and you and I are the jury. All right? And we're not only the jury, but we're being trained for his replacement. 
we are going to replace Lucifer in heaven. The bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ is going to be the worship leaders in heaven. We're going to be the light bearers. We're going to be the morning star together. That's what I believe is going to happen. Why and how is this going to happen? Do you see? Because here, God created Lucifer. Beautiful. His beauty corrupted him. And he was found iniquity in him because of his beauty. God is saving us. We are found in iniquity. That's why it took so much to raise us from the dead. Do you see that? We have iniquity found in us because of Adam. God died for us. You see, and you see the journey that Jesus takes is the opposite of Satan. Satan is not equal with God, but he's so beautiful and he's so full of himself that he thinks I'm equal with God. Jesus is equal with God. But instead, he didn't grasp to be equal with God. He emptied himself of that and became a human being. There are so many beautiful things. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, we have this journey. And part of this journey is in Adam. We become sinners and we come to Christ with iniquity in us. He finds iniquity in us and out of that he creates his beauty. He takes that iniquity. He puts it on Christ. He made him sin with our sin that we become the righteousness of God. And he makes us equal. I am equal with God in Christ. In Christ alone. Do you understand? You see that? That's how I can be more beautiful than Lucifer, that you and I, the church, not just the ones in this room, the whole body of Christ, every believer is more beautiful than Lucifer ever was in Christ. You see, that protects us from the iniquity. That protects us from the vain, the vanity that when we see ourselves, how beautiful we are, we think we're equal with God. Well, we are equal with God because we're in Christ. Do you follow that? And now we have God started us in, in Satan. He starts it with this creation. He's so beautiful. And out of that comes a will to see himself equal with God. Mm. But <laughs> you see, God starts with us with the free will. Amen. It's a reverse journey. Yes. We start with a free will. And Adam with a free will chooses to grasp to be equal with God just like Satan. Only Satan corrupted him. And Satan's out to corrupt us. And so he starts with a free will. And through Christ, we have the free will to choose. It, whosoever believes in him. You see? So we, it's a reverse journey. We're starting with corruption. We're starting with iniquity. We're starting, and he has made sin with our sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we are far more beautiful than Lucifer ever was. But we are only beautiful because we are in him. <laughs> That protects us from vanity. That protects us from thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Because it's in Him and Him alone. Now the church, I said, I think possibly the three greatest events in history for us. Number one, when Christ is crucified and raised from the dead. That's the gospel. Right? Number two, 
when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Number three happens in Acts chapter 15. And it starts about the 13th verse. And it's because the entire church came together because there was a problem developing. Paul had gone and started churches among the Gentiles. And the church at Jerusalem was sending out a group to make the church of churches, the Gentile churches, become not only Christians, but Jews as well. Practice Judaism on Saturday, Christianity on Sunday. Have, they had to be circumcised, come under the law of Moses and so forth. Paul rebelled very highly against that. So they have this big convention. And what's the convention? The convention is coming together to decide that. And Peter says, when I was sent to Cornelius, first Gentile to receive Christ, God didn't do it through the law of Moses. God did it through the Spirit. And Paul says, and Barnabas says, we... When we were at the church, same thing. And then James, who was recognized as a senior pastor in, in, in Jerusalem, he says, and everybody, I believe, expected him to debunk what they're saying because the group was going out from them, trying to get them to become Jews. And he says, they're right. Because the scriptures say, and he quotes from Amos nine eleven. He says, the scriptures, and I'm going to paraphrase it. The scripture says that God saves the Gentiles, is bringing the Gentiles back into his fold, not because of the law of Moses, not to be under the law of Moses, but instead to restore the tabernacle, which means tent, that David had. David's tabernacle You'll, I, I, I could, I've preached for this for nearly uh, six months. David's tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, was in Moses' tabernacle. Two brothers of Eli took it to a battle site. The Philistines took it. They took it over to, to the land of the Philistines. All kinds of trouble was they sent it back. And sometime later, the Ark of the Covenant never makes its way back to the uh, tabernacle of Moses. But David takes it back to a tent that he pitches at Jerusalem, even though the tabernacle of Moses was at Shiloh. All right. Was a, actually at this time it was at Gibeon. It was at Shiloh in the, in the start with. And he brought it back and he brings it into a tent that he makes. And instead of the blood sacrifice, they had one blood sacrifice at the, at the door of the tent. And they brought the Ark of the Covenant back, set it in the center instead of behind the Holy of Holies, behind the veil and everything else. They surrounded it with praise and worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 49 years. And you don't hear a lot of preaching about that either, do you? But here's the deal. You and I as Gentiles were saved because God wants to restore the tabernacle of David that had fallen away. What's the tabernacle? 24-7. Do you understand that the very tabernacle of David, 49 years, 7 times 7, the very tabernacle of David itself, which James says, Amos 9-11, quoting 9-11, that the Gentiles are not to come under the law of Moses, because of Amos 9-11. God restoring to the nations, to the Gentiles, bringing his nation back into his family to restore the tabernacle of David. Why? Because you and I have been called to replace Satan in heaven as the worship leaders. Do you see how it all fits together? Well, I just gave you two years of preaching if you are troubled by any of this, please, I would love to sit down and go with you verse by verse. And we may just agree to disagree. But it's taken me 43 years of a journey to come to this. 
And this isn't overnight. This isn't overnight. Let's pray. Thank You, Lord, for loving us. Thank You, Lord, for choosing us. How we are chosen in Him before the world began. Hallelujah. We're accepted. Kara too. Intense. Highly favored. In Him. Before the world began. Before the world began. You had a picture. In your heart. In your mind. Between you and your son. Of my life. On earth. In training to be a worship leader of all the angels in heaven. Satan was perfect, beautiful in him. Or in the creation that you created in him. And it corrupted him. We are, oh God, I'm a man of unclean lips. Dwelling among a people of unclean lips. We start from the bottom And you create beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We are a royal priesthood, a holy people, a holy nation, a chosen people, that we should show forth the praises of him that calls us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' wonderful, precious name. Amen.